Welcome to the Bonner Private Research Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Bowman. Each week, we bring you exclusive conversations with members of Bill Bonner's private research team, as well as some special guests we'll meet along the way. We're trying to connect the dots, from high finance to lowly politics, private investments to public follies, from Wall Street to Main Street, at home and on the road. We're into sound money, personal freedom, classical books, and great wines. Not always in that order. So join me and the rest of the Bonner Private Research team as we pack our bags and follow the money. A little trip down memory lane today. The year was 2014, and my oh my does it seem like another world away. You will recall those halcyon days, gentle listener, perhaps with a moistened eye or even a lump in the throat, for they were simpler times, were they not? When international travel did not yet constitute a daring, life-threatening endeavour, when face masks were worn by graffiti artists, medical professionals and bug-dodging adherents of the Jain Dharma, it was a time when one could enjoy, nay luxuriate over, an unhurried lunch in peace and quietude followed by no end of postprandial libations, often stretching into the hazy, crepuscular hours of the day. It was during this carefree, happy-go-lucky era that your humble host found himself embarked on his annual pilgrimage. Each year, we would fly north for the summer, from our home down here in Buenos Aires, the so-called Paris of the South, to that Paris of the North, otherwise simply known as Paris. Having already made our regular family and work calls through Houston, Baltimore, and New York, we found ourselves one balmy afternoon in old London town, plumped into a comfy afternoon chair in one of the city's myriad eateries, an Italian trattery of memory serves, somewhere between St. Paul's Cathedral and the Bank of England, between God and Mammon, if you will, the sacred and the profane. Seated at our table, along with our dear wife, was an English friend whom we knew from Buenos Aires and his cousin, a lively money manager who just happened to broach one of our favorite subjects at the time, Bitcoin. As it happened, your host's long-suffering amigos back home had all but imposed a gentle moratorium on the cryptocurrency subject, having endured endless rants and mad ravings from yours truly over the preceding few years. And so it was with great and renewed pleasure, rather, that we engaged with Mr. Charlie Morris, who, though he had heard of Bitcoin sometime earlier, was just now recognizing the true potential of the technology, and, like so many who go down that rabbit hole, was keen to talk about it with anyone equally gone off the fiat reservation. You know, I think there's a lot of craziness being spoken at the moment. You've got the Bitcoin maximalists who just see gold as a barbarous relic and they say it's ridiculous. And then you've got the gold people who are probably older on average, um, who look at Bitcoin and say, don't be ridiculous. It's a, you know, it's a thing on the internet. You can't take that seriously. The answer is in the middle as always. In today's episode, six Earth years and a hundred lifetimes in crypto time hence, I pick up that conversation with Charlie Morris. The world has changed plenty since that unhurried lunch turned dinner turned London pub crawl. But Charlie remains as insightful as ever and is always a pleasure to chat with. So pull up a comfortable chair of your own, maybe grab a pint or a tipple and listen in as Charlie gives us the word on all things crypto, what he expects for the markets at large in 2021 and beyond, 
and just how he came to find himself heading up one of England's oldest, most revered financial publications, the Fleet Street Letter. All that and more in my conversation with Charlie Morris, up next. Hello, Joel. Charlie, how are you doing, mate? Just got to, I'm just typing to um, a private bank and they're banning Bitcoin products, even for the rich. Oh, <laughs> goodness me. It's all ne- never a dull day in Bitcoin landia, as our crypto brethren would say. So you're in, um, in BA, as they call it. NBA, yeah. The summer months are upon us and we're, we're just coming out of our own uh, winter of discontent, as seems to be rolling across the planet uh, at the moment, alas. But mate, um, before we get started, how are, how are things up in the UK? I know you guys have just sort of gone into a oh. second lockdown. What's, uh, what's it look like on the street there? Um, we've, 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 well, I'm in the country, so um, the country's normal. The um, the pubs are shut, which is just outrage in this country. I mean, it's just yeah. not right. I can't imagine and, uh, people standing for that for long. <laughs> and they're opening on um, Wednesday, in theory. And we just found out we're tier two. So that, so each region, um, and a region is quite small. It's kind of like a, um, a constituency type thing. It's, it's a bit like that, or a county council. So it's about, I suppose, about 100,000 people. And, um, and you're either a one which is the Isles of Scilly, the Isle of Wight, and Cornwall, which is basically miles away. Uh-huh. Um, you're a tier two, which is most of us, and a tier three are some of the um, really suburban areas. M- m- most urban areas uh, flushed out in the spring. So, so is that the, the kind of worst, uh, worst hit, highest grade or whatever, grade red or whatever? Yeah, so I think if it, yeah, exactly. So tier one means you can go to the pub and get pissed. And tier two <laughs> means you can go to the pub and have a substantial meal with your own family. And you can have friends in the garden, and it's November. Um, and tier three means you've got to watch Netflix, basically. I just like how everything there is calibrated on how much you can participate with your local pub. It used to be the church. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the new church. The, the <laughs> local pub is the new religion. <laughs> I love it. You and I met uh, through, let's say, mutual friend back in, uh, back in 2014. Uh, you were, I think you were working at the at the city, uh, in the city rather at the time. And I think I just checked this morning, Bitcoin was probably floating around maybe the five or $600 mark. That sounds absurd to say today. <laughs> but I remember you were, were rather excited about its potential uh, even back then. So do you remember what it was, you know, where you were when you first heard about it and why you kind of got, uh, w- what it was about this revolution that kind of piqued your interest? Well, Joel, this is really embarrassing, actually, because um, I first heard about it in 2007. You're amongst friends here. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know we're amongst friends, but it's embarrassing because it's 2011, and it's a true story. Uh, a friend of mine who was a bit of a, um, a hippie economist, um, and he, he said, there's this Bitcoin thing, and we were very much talking about the gold market, and, um, and, and people were, were, well, at the time, we were pretty excited about gold, you know, 2011 and all that. And he said, but there's this thing called Bitcoin. And it's sort of electronic gold kind of thing. And, and I said, well, what, what is it? And he said, it's sort of money on the internet. And I said, well, that's not going to work. You can cut and paste it and have two money. <laughs> and he said, well, I managed to, and he said, he managed to do a transaction. I said, what did you buy? Some ganja, he told me. And, I, and I'll have it, I'd have it be known that I'm not a ganja taker myself. But um, mm-hmm. I thought the whole episode was quite funny. 
um, and it worked. But I sort of dismissed it and said, oh, don't be ridiculous. Yeah. And, um, and, and I suppose had he been wearing a suit, I probably would have listened more, in, you know, more intently yeah. at the time. And I guess I've changed a bit since then. But, um, you know, because he was a sort of hippie economist friend of mine, I sort of never took him as seriously as perhaps he should have done. And, and he's just off the face of the earth. So I can only assume he's bought an island and he's very happy. <laughs> but, um, Retreated to a fortress of solitude in the Caribbean somewhere. <laughs> exactly. So the, the penny dropped for me in mid-13 when it was $100. I was watching the breakout, scrambling to open an account. Couldn't, as no one could at that time. And, yep. um, but I learned everything I possibly could. And I founded um, in November of 2013, so seven years ago, mm-hmm. um, I, I teamed up with a coder and built Bytree. Which is a, which is a, you know, the, the objective is being financial analysis, right? Mm-hmm. The objective is not to sleep on people. Um, it's not to have, you know, intellectual curiosity. It's, you know, how would you financially analyze the Bitcoin blockchain um, right. in the same way you'd analyze a stock or a bond? And there were few people doing it. It's worth saying uh, at that time. I mean, certainly not people with your uh, background in in institutional money management. Uh, let's say, no people yeah, wearing suits. A lot of hippies. <laughs> There was no one wearing suits talking about Bitcoin, that's for sure. Yeah. So what do you think? Uh, I mean, obviously, during the intervening years, there's been, uh, you know, it's been quite a tumultuous ride. What, what do you think has been, in your view, the biggest kind of change with regards to the attitude of, let's say, those involved in, uh, in professional money management toward, uh, toward Bitcoin and, and the crypto ecosystem in general? Yeah, so we're on the verge of year 12, aren't we? It's um, just around the corner and, you know, it hasn't gone away, has it? And I think every now (laughs) people sort of go, Bitcoin, yeah, yeah, forget about it. Um, But then suddenly it comes back with a vengeance and each time it comes back with with something new about it. So it's typically more credible, a bit more infrastructure around it. And this time, you know, the 2017 bull run attracted a lot of smart people and, and they built proper institutional grade infrastructure around it, uh, and it's now ready. And, mm. and so that's that's really the point: is that uh, institutions can now can now buy it. And I'd also say over the last few years, we've got used to um, internet stocks in general. And Bitcoin's not quite an internet stock, but it's it's along that along those lines, isn't it? You know, yeah. we used to laugh at Amazon to five or Tesla five years ago. Now, if you own an index fund, you own them. They're your biggest they're your biggest investments. And, um, and so all of these sort of dot commy things, um, uh, you know, on huge multiples make a lot of sense. So when something else comes along, it doesn't seem quite as odd as it once did. Um, right. I reiterate it's not a stock, but, you know, it, it, it's in the genre of uh, Internet creation. And, um, and, and I think that, that that's pretty powerful. Now, the conversation is no longer dismissal or dismissive. Uh, but certainly, you know, I'm, quite, I'm in the UK, and our regulator has been pretty unfriendly to to Bitcoin products, and uh, most of them are derivative based. It's quite difficult to have a uh, a product which which is you know what you might call physical, and so they basically blocked it to retail. You know, in the in the interest of protecting them, and um, they have a different view to you and I, Joel. Yeah. But being, being someone who's regulated by the FCA, there's, there's, there's a limit to how much I'm going to say. Yeah, right, right. We might leave, leave it at that then. But would you say that um, I was speaking with our, our colleague and a mutual friend, Dan Denning, the other day, and he was pointing out that, uh, you know, the world over governments and state actors are becoming interested 
in digital currencies, but the kind of Frankenstein version where it's, you know, it's their own state issued uh, currency, which of course does away with all of the, or many of the um, advantages that a free market money, i.e. decentralization, uh, necessarily limited uh, number of coins in the case of Bitcoin, for example, uh, state sponsored coins do away with many of those advantages. But do you see th those governments becoming involved or interested in that space as kind of kind of a defensive position? I mean, they're they're at least taking it seriously, which which they weren't, let's say, five or ten years ago. Yeah, I mean, you know, once you invent dynamite, you that's it. You have yeah. dynamite in the world. <laughs> the same with nuclear fission. I mean, all of these things. Um, once they're invented, uh, that's it. They don't go back in the box. Uh, Bitcoin is inherently a good idea. It's it's a it's a good way of doing things, and it's a very clever mathematics behind it that enable um, you know my mistake of two thousand eleven. You can't cut and paste internet money, and um, and so that design is very elegant. And you know the central bank digital currencies aren't quite Bitcoin blockchain, but but they have a you know they've, they've borrowed a lot of ideas as you know. And I think the implications of them are interesting. Obviously, they, they, they're going to have compliant wallets. So, you know, they can stop you from buying ganja on the internet, probably. Mm -hmm. um, no doubt they will. They can collect taxes more efficiently. Um, so that those, are, those are, you know, a couple of, couple of things in the government's interest. Um, but then there's also influence. And so if you have, you know, if, if you don't get on board, let's say China develops a central bank digital currency, and and uh, and Europe does, and Britain does, but America doesn't. Let's say I'm sure America will, but 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 let's say they didn't. Then actually, the dollar would lose global influence over time, and so everyone's got to do it, or else their currency quickly becomes irrelevant. Now, you know what is it in economic terms? Uh, a central bank digital currency. A bit long-winded. We need a shorter word for that. Right, right. An acronym. A sexy acronym. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She called it. She called it digital cash. I know that. And, and Gov, Govcoin. Yeah. The bottom line is that monetary systems kind of suck the money in, whereas I think digital money will, will push it out. Mm -hmm. and, and what I mean by that is, you know, cash comes out of the bank and never goes back to the bank, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, right. In the field. <laughs> it's it's in the fields. It's, you know, it's buried in the forests of Colombia and it's, it's all <laughs> over the world. Um, you know, cash gets out there and stays out there, whereas, whereas um, um, sort of current fiat money always heads back to the banking system. And, and internationally, this is also true. So, for example, I started in stockbroking. I was very surprised to learn that, there were, that the only way to have a dollar in Britain um, was, was in cash. Um, really? If you have to hold a dollar, if you think you hold a dollar at your bank or your brokerage, you act, they have a, an account with, with you know, a, an American bank, which ultimately goes back to the, to the central bank. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, it's a reference system that comes down from any country's central bank and, and your dollars or pounds or whatever are actually held in that country with a reference to abroad. They're not physically held abroad. Mm -hmm. And this might be, this, this might not make a huge amount of sense to, to a lot of people, but, but in this, but, you know, this digital cash can actually get out there and, and physically, I, mean, I know it's the internet, but you're not trying to physically sure. be in another location. Um, where, whereas, whereas um, traditional um, um, electronic ele electronic banking, as opposed to digital There's cash, um, legitimate can't move. threat it's always, posed it's always, it's always by, good. let's say, the crypto ecosystem to the the central bank hegemonies of the world, or, or are we still talking, you know, decades away uh, at at this point? What well, so? How, so you're asking how long it's going to take for these to come about? 
No, I mean, uh, the, the free market monies, let's say, competing monies like, like Bitcoin and all of, the, yeah, all, of the, all of the altcoins, do they, in your mind, uh, do they have the potential to, pro- to pose a threat to fiat hegemony as it's existed for thousands of years now? Well, I, 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 I'll answer that in a couple of ways. The first one is I don't actually think that they're money. Now, I know the Austrian school might call them money and so on, and I'm sort of, mm-hmm. I'm sort of half Austrian. I'm yeah. a bit of an all-rounder when it comes to <laughs> And um, um, I, I, would, I would say that, you know, I like to think of Bitcoin as an asset. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think as soon as you just call it a digital asset, you call gold an asset rather than money. You know, gold was money when it was linked to money, but now it's a free, it's a free asset. It has no formal role in the system. Bitcoin has no formal role in the system. So you treat it like an asset. You analyze it like an asset. And it all starts to make sense. And, and money really is the stuff that the government tells you, you know, to, to use. And um, each country, funnily enough, they don't look at someone else's money, so that's better than ours. They use their own because it's, exactly. uh, it's a bit controlled, even though there are better monies out there. Very um, telling that, isn't it? Whatever they collect their taxes in, that's what their money is. We all know the Swiss and the Japanese one are the best of the fears, but, exactly. um, but no one adopts them because, right. because it doesn't serve their purpose. Um, so, so there's that. So I think they're, you know, they're assets and they're, and, they're, and they're quite different. I would think educationally, government digital money is actually going to help people to, to think in terms of digital assets mm-hmm. and it will actually encourage more digital assets. Yeah. So if you've got digital money, then we may as well trade digital assets. It all starts to make more sense. And on that note, traditional financial um, things like um, bonds and, and shares – I have little doubt that they'd end up, you know, being transferred digitally. It's fundamentally right. a better. It's fundamentally a better system than the right. system we, 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 we've grown up with. Yeah, the, I mean, it does. It does seem in more ways than one that the digital age is upon us, and I, I guess that um, that trend, although already well underway, has kind of been accelerated even just during the last year, where half the planet's been on lockdown, uh, you know, unable to leave their own home. And I think a lot more people now are getting used to the idea of uh, existing in a non-geo-specific sense. You know, we, we, we stream movies on our, on our phones from wherever we are. Uh, we make purchases online in a way that we really weren't five or, or, or 10 years ago. You know, all, a huge part of retail has now moved into the digital realm. Um, and I, I think we can only see that as facilitating the, the growth and growth of, of digital currencies, be they uh, market issued or, or government issues. But I was interested uh, just now, Charlie, when you, you chose to uh, frame uh, cryptocurrencies as a digital asset. And um, you mentioned also rethinking gold in terms of an asset rather than a money. Um, I'm interested in why, you, why, in your opinion, so many sort of traditional gold bugs and, and Midas metal diehards have have had have been a little reticent let's say to come over to the to the crypto realm i mean i feel like that's increasing but um but there was a bit of reticence at the beginning are you seeing that changing or what's what's your your insight there yeah well i mean you know i think there's a lot of um um of craziness being spoken at the moment you've got the <laughs> You've got the Bitcoin maximalists who just see gold as a barbarous relic and they say it's Mm. ridiculous. And then you've got the gold people who are probably older on average um, who look at Bitcoin and say, don't be ridiculous. It's a, you know, it's a thing on the internet. You can't take that seriously. The answer is in the middle as always. 
you know. And and economically, I would say that their um, you know gold is much more established, and you know it's, the gold in the world is worth something like twelve trillion. The Bitcoin in the world's world's worth something like three hundred billion, before you account for lost coins, which is probably takes quite a lot off that. Um, and and so you know the argument is that gold becomes Bitcoin, so that's a fifty x trade, just just right now, just to get yep. straight there. Um, but you know what is gold financially? I mean, we know it's pretty and all that, but let's leave that aside. You know, central banks don't buy it because it's pretty. Um, they buy it because of its economic characteristics, where it's responsive to negative real interest rates, um, and it's a store of value. And, and it's been most popular in emerging markets, where they know their currencies aren't very good. And, you know, uh, you see, we see what Russia do. Whenever, mm. whenever they're uh, doing well, they keep buying gold. When they're doing badly, they sell gold. And that's what a, that's what a good central bank should do. Mm. Yeah. Makes a yeah. whole load of sense for them. Uh, so they've got a valuable asset at a time of crisis. Yeah. And then if they need to use that asset, well, you know, they, they can. I mean, that's allowed. That's, that's right. what it's there for. Um, and, and gold really has enormous liquidity, um, uh, roughly speaking, $150 billion a day. Yeah, mm -hmm. according to the World Gold Council. They probably, World Gold Council would put a big number out there, but, but you know, it's, 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 a, <laughs> it's a liquid asset. You can buy and yeah. sell large amounts of it um, whether the, whether the, the, the economy is doing well or the economy is doing badly, whether the markets are locked up. I know that the gold price can dislodge like it did in March because of COVID and transportation. It did it in the credit crisis, but that's just normal financial market stress um, during mm -hmm. tough times. Um, but basically, it, it remains a liquid asset during those times. Now, Bitcoin's liquidity really is much more cyclical than that. It's much more of a risk-on asset. Um, you know, if you said to me, if you said to me, 2021 is going to be a year where the S&P goes down 30%, right? And I say, fine, okay, Joel, I trust you. You've you made the call. That's absolutely right. Well, now what is Bitcoin and, and, and gold going to do? Uh, well, they'll probably both go down unless there's a lot of inflation. We can come back to that. But assuming it's a normal deflationary shock like we've seen in 08 and 15 and 18 and so on, I say they both go down. But Bitcoin would go down a lot. It would go down more than the S and P, mm. and gold would go down much less than the S and P. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. That, that would be a sort of reasonable stab at what would happen in that environment. Now, if you throw inflation into the mix, the S and P goes down because of inflation, then both Bitcoin and gold go up. Yeah, right, right. Bitcoin goes down mm -hmm. more than gold. So right. you know, it, it's it's a high. You know, I think I wrote recently. I said that Bitcoin is gold on crack. Now that's not. <laughs> Eloquent, that's yes. Not <laughs> I, that's not original. I got that from an old broker who, who said that about silver 10 years ago. But okay, okay. Attribution where it's due. But, um, yeah. you know, that makes a lot of sense. It, it, is, it is crazy gold. Um, but, it, but it does want to become gold. And I think that if it ever gets there, we do this 50x move um, in the following cycle. So imagine, imagine this is the 1970s rerun. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, you want to own Bitcoin this time because it's got 50x job to do, which is, you know, gold was 25x in the 70s. Um, but I don't, I don't think, you know, it's unlikely the gold will be that strong this time around because it doesn't start really cheap. I mean, it was $34. It was under yeah. massively. Right? Coming off a solid base at, uh, at whatever it is today, 1700 bucks more or less. And then, you know, from, from once gold made its peak in 1980, it was a couple of decades before it settled down and became a grown-up. You know, mm -hmm. I know it's got 5,000 years of history, but it's, it behaved differently at different times. Right. And, um, and so, you know, it took a bit of time. So if, if Bitcoin is going to become the new gold, the money will be made in the next decade. And then after that, be a consolidation period. Let's call it a decade amongst friends. Uh, and then it might actually <laughs> behave. And I suspect it will always be risk on gold. 
and, right. and gold would be risk off gold, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I guess if we're if we're talking about Bitcoin as if it's still in its uh, in its adolescence, and I do think of those years as those Bitcoin years as kind of like maybe like dog years or something where, you know, we, we cram seven or 10 or 20 years of price action into a very short period of time, hence the, uh, hence the volatility. But I noticed earlier this year. Before you go there, I just yeah. want to make the, make the point that the, the, the first trace of price, which sadly I didn't buy at, but Joel, you probably did, was, was you know, less than a cent, wasn't it, for Bitcoin? <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't, I wasn't quite that early, but, uh, but yeah, I think those people who did were uh, certainly on their Caribbean islands, for sure, keeping right. their mouth but, shut, I bet. Imagine putting your hand in your pocket, getting the change out, chucking it at the vendor, and, and you know, that, that's literally what, what will happen. So it, right. I think, I, I can't remember what I calculated the market, the market cap, I hate that expression for Bitcoin, network value I prefer. Um, yep. but, but, it's, but it's, it, it was, it's something like $100,000 or Order. All the bitcoins in the world at the time were about a, something like that. It's a very low number. If you think mm -hmm. of modern IPOs, they come to market in the tens of billions. Right, right, yeah. Just a completely different ballpark, isn't it? Completely different ballpark. So this, so it was it basically buying bitcoin before two thousand and thirteen was was basically like being an early investor in a successful tech company. Yeah, no, it's, uh, that's a that's a, an analogy that I think a lot of people can get their heads around. And I, I recall that the, uh, I mean, I. I don't recall personally, but I recall reading about that very first Bitcoin transaction of the, you know, the couple of pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoin. I don't know what that would be worth today, but certainly a lot more than we would exchange for a couple of pizzas for, uh, to, to say the least. But while we're in this, this kind of uh, adolescence, let's call it, for, for Bitcoin as it matures, as it kind of, you know, more and more people... Uh, come over to see, you know, some of the attributes that it that it has, and some of the some of the favorable characteristics that it can offer. I noticed that you've been um, you've been issuing some um, some guidance on price earlier this year, just to um, just to puff you up a bit, Mr. Morris. You, uh, I, I remember it was seven, I think six or seven thousand dollars Bitcoin, and you sent out a tweet that said that people that were were scooping them up at this discounted prices. We're going to be looked at as geniuses by the end of the year, and that certainly has come to pass uh, with it doubling, maybe even tripling since then. But and then more recently, uh, you sent out another tweet saying, "Sorry to be a party pooper, but a few of the network indicators that you monitor have been flashing red." And then, of course, today we saw it uh, it fall three thousand bucks in a day, which is not unusual in in Bitcoin landia. But um, I guess the question then is, what network indicators? Are, are you looking at Charlie Morris that you're so on the money with this? Well, it's it's common sense, really. If you if you're used to <laughs> the, the oldest network indicator of all, common sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we do measure some things. So you know, underlying Bitcoin. It, you know, why is Bitcoin valuable? Okay, there are two. There are two schools of thought here. One school is supply, limited supply. They're not making it anymore. It's running out. This is a mm. classic argument with late seventies commodities. Everyone said they're not making these things anymore. The world's running out of land. Quick, buy. There's inflation. So that's a supply school, and and these are the stock to flow models. And and frankly, the Silicon Valley argument, you know, the the um, the Michael Saylor argument about saying engineers his quotes so are engineers should design money and this kind of stuff. That's a supply school, and the demand school says application. Yeah, mm. make it useful. 
make the network busy, network effect, all the Silicon Valley things. I want lots of people using it. And I want not just owning it, because if everyone buys it and sticks it in a vault and there's no liquidity, how can, how can Bitcoin become gold? So, so, so for Bitcoin to become gold, you've got to go from $5 billion a day of liquidity to 150, which is where gold is. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Right. That doesn't right. happen by everyone burying it under the floorboards, right? You've got to have a vibrant um, economy. And I would say that, that Bitcoin is the reserve asset of the digital economy. And we mm-hmm. think of websites like CoinMarketCap or CoinGecko, where you've got this whole list of ridiculous things. You know, some of them are really good and really interesting, and there's a whole bunch of stuff. But there's an economy. It's a vibrant economy, and it grows, and there's more things coming every time. And, 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 and basically, everyone measures wealth in that space in Bitcoins. Mm-hmm. And all liquidity is, you know, Bitcoin to, to this and Bitcoin to that. In the same way, I'm, I'm, I'm here in Britain with pounds. Let's say I want to get some Argentinian pesos. You know, the way to do that, I know you've got there's a black market thing going on, but let's, let's park that for the moment. But the, <laughs> the, way, the way to trade between pounds and Argentinian pesos, where there's probably not much liquidity, is via dollar. Yeah. And so if you want to go from asset B to asset C um, in, in, in digital land, you go via Bitcoin, which is asset A. Mm-hmm. So I think that why it, it, it's so important it represents the uh the utility and the uh, increasing value of planet cyberspace right and, and increasingly valuable realm yeah when europe colonized the americas hundreds of years ago and they'd never been there they couldn't even call but you know people were sort of buying and selling things on the back of this great new world and i right. think it's a bit like that mm. but you replace a, an ocean with computers and cyberspace and and that sort of thing I digress, but to, to finish off quickly, so you've got the supply camp who think it's, it's valuable because it's, it's limited, you know, that there's not much of it. And you've got the people who think it's valuable um, because it's a, it, it actually represents something. Um, I call that the demand camp. My view is that since the supply is known, it's preset, then the supply argument just gives the, the space credibility, doesn't create value. Because, like, because we, we can recreate that in Litecoin and in Bitcoin Cash, and they're not valuable. So the scarcity is, you know, just gives just, 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 just credibility. So it's, it's the demand that, that drives the space. So how did I know whether the Bitcoin was going to go up or down? I follow demand metrics. I look at volumes and I look at um, number of transactions and, you know, network vibrancy. And there are many different ways to measure those. Um, and we've got data scientists. who so we've got, we, we extract the information from the, from the, blockchain on bytree.com and um and uh, those data scientists have trawled through everything and we we believe that we have an, an, an edge let's say we don't know we don't know everything we don't know the tops and bottoms we didn't predict the fall yesterday i mean there's lots of things we can't do but what we can do is measure the economy and all i want to do is buy a buy a growing economy a holder a holder stable economy but i'll sell a declining economy yeah no that, that makes a lot of sense and i think i think on that um on that demand side metric, if you follow the rationale that um, that price derives from value and value derives from utility, as as the old Austrians would have had it under a subjective value theory system, then the expansion of the digital realm, as far as it being kind of its own um, non non geographically specific economy in and of itself, um, then you know we we can make a pretty a pretty solid. Uh, bull case uh, for the future of Bitcoin. But I'm interested, uh, you mentioned some of the other assets there, um, some of the altcoins um, and so forth. One thing that's 
quite striking about this last bull market in this last sort of six or eight months um, is that unlike previous bull markets, Bitcoin hasn't dragged along uh, so many of the altcoins sort of en masse the way that we saw back in 2017 um, and in the way with, you know, the big pumps of Ether and, and Litecoin and such in the past. What do you, what do you make of that? Is, is there something fundamentally uh, different this time around or, or is this just some other inexplicable market, uh, market trend? I, I, well, I'd say that, that you know, they, they haven't pulled them to the levels they did in 2017. So there's a couple of things there. The first is asset quality. Um, leaving crypto aside, you know, when we ended the COVID correction in, in March, mm. the best assets recovered first. So gold, yeah. gold made a low before other things, right? And then, and then yep. went on to do very well. And, and the, the, you know, the junky stuff took longer to make a low. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So all the best stocks, you know, the first, the first to make their lows and the first to recover. And... Uh, you know, with it by by the end of April, the good stuff was you know at a new all time high or pretty pretty close to the all time high. Or it didn't take long for for them to get back to looking good. Now, Bitcoin right now is is hanging around its all all time high, as you said, a little bit off today, but in the big scheme of things, nothing in planet crypto. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and and most of the altcoins are still down a long a lot from their 2017 high. Yeah. So the simple asset quality measure is is you know how, how do you behave and they behave badly and they still yeah. behave badly um also i would say that when the alts you know what we've learned from 2013 and um, 17 and, and and probably history will repeat itself is when the alts get excited you know you're near the end of the rally right okay. a, this American, is when you're this is when your hairdresser and your taxi driver and and whomever else is telling you that they just bought XYZ coin at, uh, you know, a, a few pennies or some such. Yeah, I think specifically Ripple, you know, Ripple, which is, you know, pretty hopeless. I mean, when that starts going, going up, then, then, you know, you can start worrying. But the, um, yeah. there's a lovely <laughs> expression, um, when I don't know who came up with it, but it's, you know, when, when the wind picks up, even the turkeys fly. And I, and I <laughs> very good. I just love that. And it applies so neatly to crypto. Of course, there's tons of good stuff to buy in, in you know, in the alt world. And there's lots of exciting businesses being created. Uh, and it's a very exciting space. But, you know, you, you've got to be under 21 to play. And you've got to be, you've got to do a lot of research. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm 50. I was 50 this year. And I just I haven't got the energy to trawl through thousands of young startups and, you know, try and guess whether they're fraudulent or whether they're real um, and, and then trying to study some sort of valuation metrics, which just aren't going to happen because it doesn't work like that. And, right. and so it's not a game that I, I, I want to play. And so, you know, being, being a, 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 a guy who's, who's got a very good understanding of multi-assets, because I was a multi-asset fund manager for many years in, in, in the city, you know, I, I, I like to, to figure out how you can construct portfolios, you know, what you can put together to, to have a good outcome. And, um, you know, bonds were very useful for that once upon a time, but, but it's hard to imagine that's, that's going to be true in the future. So, so you've got to look for alternatives. And, um, and, and, and you also think, you know, it, it's hard to imagine there's not a reflation coming. Um, mm -hmm. no, no, no one. I, mean, I don't know why the world suddenly, the politicians suddenly have so much money they never used to have. I mean, you know, I've been looking at my country's um, um, COVID statistics and, and basically the, the death toll is not very nice. And, and obviously if it's your loved ones, that's not that, that's terrible. But it's, it, it's really not that big. 
compared to to to, to the narrative and to the, uh, the response. Repeat the response, yeah, and um, and it's hard to make sense. I mean, you had similar situations, you know, in in the in the in the late nineties. You had, you know, um, I think it was six. Uh, uh, there were three years in the late nineties that, that that weren't far off the current, you know, annual death statistics. And then last year was a very light year, so that put this year up. And there's a whole sort of quality. I don't know why I'm going on to COVID, but there's a whole quality of life. Years. It's, it's, the, it's the mandatory COVID coda. There is a, there is a COVID yeah. coda to every discussion. It's, it's the backdrop to every, every discussion, but it's, I think it's all relevant. Yeah, it's relevant because I, so, we used to, to, so, we, so our health system, which is highly political because it's free, and, um, and so it's all about the government. And um, you know it's good, and 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 you know, most Brits are, are sort of on side with it, even though they they, they everyone loves, loves to hate it. Um, but but the, the the extraordinary thing is, there's always been a quality of life years assessment, and so if a 95 year old rocks up and you know wants a nose job, no, <laughs> story, right. you know what I mean? And, nose, um, nose jobs reserved strictly for the under 30s. Model it's aspirants. the sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm being flippant, but, but, you, but I'm sure you understand the point. And yep. so the idea is that if a young person has a has a major problem, then you know, spend the million dollars. But but if a very old person has a major problem, then don't spend the million dollars. Mm-hmm. Just try and make their life comfortable. And and that was a sort of principle that kept the thing working for for years. And I just wonder why um, the government, who really couldn't give a a damn how long people lived up until 2020 suddenly want to keep everyone alive you know what's changed yeah it's very strange to think about that in light of in light of the a recent statistic i saw which i it really kind of floored me and that was that the average um age of a COVID 19 uh, fatality was actually a couple of years older than the going life expectancy in the uk so if you die of, of, of COVID, on average, you've already outlived your expected life um, anyway, which is, which is quite remarkable given the outsized response uh, as, as you underline there. It's, it's incredible. And, if, and, and basically, there's, I've heard this in many different countries, that they're stamping COVID cause of death on as many bodies as they possibly can. We just keep the argument going. So you study death certificates, death statistics, all deaths, don't care what they're from. And, and it just, it's just, as I said, a slightly bad year. But the fiscal response suddenly, you know, we never had this money before. I don't know, you know, in the 80s, 90s, governments didn't have this money. But suddenly, where did it come from? You know, why, why is it so easy to make money these days and just write checks? I suppose the counter side of it, you know, if you were the central banker or the treasury, um, head of treasury in one, some country, and the, and the bond market's offering you vast sums of money for free or at negative real rates, you might just say, well, I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, well, you're not, you're not in the central bank of business if you don't take advantage of that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Joel, if you, you know, if you said to me, here, Charlie, here's a trillion dollars at you know, minus two real for the next right. 30 years, I'll say, thanks, Joel. Here's my account number. See you in, see you in 30 years, yeah. <laughs> and then a, a balance so- of gold and Bitcoin would probably work out well, wouldn't it? Yes, indeed it would. Indeed it would. So, mate, a um, couple of quick questions. I know uh, I'm taking a bit of your, your time that you're very generously uh, affording us today, but, um, uh, but I know you're over at the Fleet Street letter now, um, and that's been one of the changes uh, since I, we, you and I last enjoyed an unhurried lunch uh, in London when you could do so at a pub with uh, you know, masks off and, uh, 
and no closing time to be to be seen. But um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing at, at the Fleet Street Letter. Um, what what asset classes you have your eye on, and what you see as we near the end of 2020. Uh, the, this new decade uh, bringing us about as far, as far as the big trends that you kind of follow? Sure. Delighted. I mean, so Fleet Street Letter, I've got two jobs. One's Fleet Street Letter, the other one's Bytree. Um, that's my digital business and Bytree Asset Management with crypto products. Quick plug, if you don't mind. Indeed. And then um, let's go back to the Fleet Street Letter, which is my, which is my um, uh, publishing role. Now, the newsletter was founded in 1938, and so it's got a good history in Britain, it's quite a well-known brand name. So that's it's, it's you know it's wonderful to to to, um, to to take that on. I've been there for about five or six years now. We we've got three portfolios. One's called um, soda, one's called whiskey, and one's called Genepi. And uh, if you don't know what Genepi is, well, it's a, it's an alpine drink. And um, the idea is that soda is not very bad for you. It's quite a low risk thing to drink, so therefore it's a low risk portfolio. Um, whiskey is a little bit riskier, and Genepi is very risky. So that's a very simple <laughs> way of communicating risk risk management yep, via portfolio yep. names. Now, I seem so to remember a few of those categories from our from our unhurried lunch. Yes. So the, the soda portfolio is a very um, simple beast. It's 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 at the moment we haven't we haven't got very much in bonds at all. Uh, not quite zero, but nearly zero. There's some inflation linked, and um, and most of the bond allocation is 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 basically in gold. So that's um, how we played that. And the equity side of it, um, I did have quite a lot of tech until recently. We've now dropped tech. So that's quite a big thing we've done, and we've massively upped emerging markets, particularly emerging market value. So um, so we've I mean we're UK centric, so people think it's sterling. So there's always going to be a sterling bias to it, but but basically there's there's UK recovery. We think UK stocks are particularly cheap at the moment because of the Brexit discount, mm-hmm. um, and and also anything old economy is also cheap. Um, I'm very bullish on energy in particular, so in particular, so I think the oil price yeah. has got a long way to go, and um, we can come to that as well if you'd like in a minute. Um, That'd be a big turnaround story. Yeah, I was just going to say it's been a it, it, it's been almost the. Uh, the the opposite story of crypto over the last ten years has been uh, has, has been the plummeting of of energy. But look, we'll come on to that in a second. Let's get, let's go to your your highest risk uh, portfolio that you've got there in the in the Fleet Street letter. Whiskey. I just put it on the screen, not your screen, my screen, just to sort of flick through and think what can I talk about. Obviously, we've got some precious metals, so we'll start with that. Um, we don't have gold in the whiskey portfolio. Gold's too good for whiskey. So gold lives in soda. I see. I see. Yeah, gold lives in soda. I'm following silver and platinum and gold mining shares. Okay, very much put the the riskiest stuff into into the right into the right place, and so people aren't shocked by by things that move. Um, we've got Russia and we've got India as country funds. Russia, I like its um, energy bias. Um, we've also got some African exposure. We've got a telecoms company there, a mobile phone company there. We've got one um, aerospace company, Melrose. We've got a UK house builder. We've got the magazine company at the airports and the train stations, WH Smith, which has been around for a very, very long time. And the reason we have that is because it's a low-risk way of paying travel recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, the high-risk way is to buy an airline. A low-risk right. is to buy selling magazines at airports. Yeah, We've got yeah. some oil companies. We've got a um, uh, one bank, Standard Chartered. Uh, we've got, a um, again, back to Nigeria, a soap company, a company that makes um, consumer goods in Africa. Um, um, and then building supplies, employment, Ukrainian um, iron pellet manufacturer, and, and, and a basket of mining stocks. That basically defines whiskey. 
Do all okay. the fun stuff. Yeah, I think Joel's getting a bit excited on some of those. He says, oh, I <laughs> I'm about ready to write down some, some uh, okay. ticker symbols, yeah. <laughs> and that portfolio's done really well this year, so we're very, very pleased. And uh, the final portfolio, Genepi, is a Bitcoin trading strategy, as described earlier. So it's, uh, I literally tell readers when to buy and when to sell Bitcoin, which hopefully Wonderful. I only have to do about once a year or so. Yeah, well, you've, you've been really bang on the, I was going to say bang on the money, maybe bang on the, on the asset, uh, in, certainly there in that last one. I wanted to ask you just, uh, just before we wrap it up here, Charlie, um, a lot of people are talking about whether we're going to see uh, Bitcoin 50,000 or Dow 50,000 first. Uh, what, what are you holding a candle for, if either of those, or do you think that they're a long way in the future? Um, forgive me, I don't know where the Dow is. I don't really follow it. I think it just topped, uh, just topped to 30,000 earlier this week. might have come off a little since then. I used to look at the Dow, and I just look at the S&P by default, so I sort of yeah. forgot. I remember someone wrote the book, Dow 40,000, back in 2000, didn't they? Yes, yeah. They, it, it's it, really it, right. It is interesting to see that we're, as, uh, as Dan Denny was, was explaining just recently, we are sort of seeing a kind of, almost a kind of hyperinflationary, a hyperinflation in, uh, in the financial economy and a kind of stagnation or maybe even a deflation in the real economy on, on Main Street, which is a little bit of, an, a, bit of a unique environment, certainly for, for gold bugs, but I think maybe, maybe, the, maybe our crypto brethren have a little bit of a better better finger on that pulse, it seems like, in the last year or so. Yeah, well, that's a really good point. I wouldn't mind mentioning that, actually, because in my last piece, I, I, I looked at, um, and I, I'm, not, I'm not, when I talk about the UK, it's only because of the market I know about. I know there's an international audience here. Um, but I was looking at our online um, e-commerce share of all retail. So I had a good chart on that from the UK Office of National Statistics. And I'm sure, sure the trend that, that, that we've had here is very similar to other countries. And basically, it went from nothing in, in you know, 2005 or so, practically nothing, um, to, to 20% at the end of last year, mm-hmm. and then 30% over COVID, the first yeah. lockdown. So you had 10 years of growth. Uh, 10, it took 10% um, increase in share. Um, so, so now it's 30% of all retail is, is e-commerce, right? And it went from 20 to 30 over COVID. Yeah, and, and, and amazing. Where, where would you put? And I think when we go back, when when the economy reopens, if ever, hope it does, then it, my argument is that retail will not be dead; it will be smaller. It will yes. re-establish itself. There'll be less boutique. supply, and it, boutique and so, so on. I mean, who who goes and buys expensive clothes online? Unless you're very familiar with that retailer and the sizes and all the rest of it, you know. Unless your and, and unless your waist uh, doesn't change size at all over the yeah. over the, the Thanksgiving weekend, <laughs> yeah. So there's lots of reasons why physical retail is is is, is relevant for, for many years to come, and and there'll be a happy balance. And whether it's fifty fifty of, of digital and old, I, I don't know what that number is, but 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 we'll figure it out as we go along. And, and I would think that twenty twenty one, assuming the lockdown ends, you'll see digital come down a bit. And, and that, mm. might, that might deflatter some of the digital companies uh, when they're reporting because the assumptions being made today are probably overstated. But ultimately, they'll, they'll keep growing and, uh, and digital will continue to gain share. But at, one, at some point, it plateaus. And I think this is the same for gold Bitcoin. You know, it's the same analogy. Yep. So, there's only, so, you know, computer will expand into every possible area it can, whether it's right. in, in things or software or internet or who cares, whatever. Um, it will do what it can, and then it can't. Yeah, it can't give me a haircut. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I want to see what a crypto haircut looks like on you, yeah, Charlie. Maybe one of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <Indeed>. <laughs> Not very good. And see, so there's a limit to, to how far this goes. And I think that that's why the old economy won't disappear and it's underpriced and, and the new economy, um, you know, won't take over everything. So therefore, it's probably overpriced. But as Dan Denning says, there's, 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 there's plenty of money, you know, moving things um, to, to levels that don't make any sense on traditional financial analysis yeah indeed well maybe maybe we'll uh we'll uh, we'll pin that for a future conversation and with any luck we'll be able to have that over a pint in person um i'm looking forward to getting back to uh getting back to the uk hopefully in 2021 but um if uh if not we'll have to do this over zoom again until until normal global relations resume but mate thanks so much for your time charlie it's a pleasure talking to you thank you joel Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bonner Private Research Podcast. You can find more conversations like this in the members-only section of our website at bonnerprivateresearch.com. If you would like to contact us, please address compliments and complaints alike to podcast at bonnerprivateresearch.com. We look forward to hearing from you either way. Until next week.